welcome to MedTalk, a medical revision podcast designed for medical students to help with your studies and beyond. My name's Sneha, I'm a third year medical student at University of Western Australia and joining us today is Professor Neil Boudville who is a consultant nephrologist at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital as well as Head of Internal Medicine and Professor of Clinical Medicine at UWA. Professor, thank you for joining us. Hello Sneha, how are you going? Good, thank you. Um, so our topic today is part of a two-part series on potassium disorders. I was wondering if we could start by why you think potassium is an important concept for students to be familiar with. Thanks. So potassium disorders are incredibly common. Uh, we would see that uh, very often when we see patients. Uh, many patients are a- actually asymptomatic, but it is, it is often revealed on, on blood tests being done for various reasons. Uh, it's important because uh, low potassium and high potassium can both lead to significant cardiac issues. Um, patients are often asymptomatic and unaware uh, of it, so we can't rely on um, their symptoms to drive investigating it. Um, and we need to have a clear understanding of what's causing it to prevent it from to treat it and prevent it from happening again. Um, so we need to have a very clear understanding of both low potassium disorders and high potassium disorders and have a clear management plan of how to treat this both acutely, if warranted, and then longer term um, as well. Sure. So today we'll start with a case history again. Our patient today is a 35-year-old woman who is referred for investigation of her hypertension and hypokalemia. Her hypertension was picked up when she went to join a gym and the hypokalemia after her GP investigated her hypertension. She has no past medical history and takes no medication. On examination, her blood pressure is 165 over 95 with no postural drop. Her JVP was plus three centimeters. Everything else was normal. Electrolytes revealed a low potassium of 2.7 millimoles per litre, so normal is 3.6 to 5 millimoles per litre. The only other abnormality in her electrolytes was a bicarbonate of 40 millimoles per litre, which normal is between 20 and 26 millimoles per litre. Her blood gases reveal a pH of 7.5 and a PCO2 of 54 Uh, normal is about 40. So quite a lot there. I was wondering if you could take us through what you think are the salient features on that history and if you could please also discuss your thought process as you hear that. Great, thanks. So there's another number of issues with this patient but as the talk is about potassium I'm just going to focus on the hypokalemia to start with. And before I talk about the patient, uh, I think we need to, unfortunately, revisit our physiology of acid, of potassium balance. Um, we, the physiology of potassium balance is crucial for understanding and working out the cause of potassium disorders and also for working out how we're going to treat a patient with potassium disorders. So um, the first thing to know about potassium is that the majority of our potassium is actually intracellular. So even though we measure potassium in our blood, that is not a good estimate of the total amount of potassium someone has. In fact, we have approximately 50 times as much potassium 
in our cells than we have in our blood. Um, so and then if you think about um, how potassium gets into your body and how it gets out of the body, it's really simple because uh, the only way it gets into your body, um, unless doctors and nurses are doing this, doing it on you, the only way it gets into your body is by intake, by oral intake. And then when it leaves the body, the only two ways that it really leaves the, the body is via your kidneys and via your, your, your gastrointestinal tract. So when you think about the causes of potassium disorders and when you think about the treatment of potassium disorders, you need to think about the relationship between the, the potassium in the cells and in the blood and intake versus removal of potassium out of the body. So with, when I think about uh, low potassium, if I think about uh, the movement of potassium in and out of the cells, I, I kind of think about disorders um, like um, uh, uh, high insulin levels, um, typically given iatrogenically, um, and beta agonists, typically uh, salbutamol. Um, they both uh, have receptors on the cell that when they are activated will drive potassium into the cell and lower your, your blood to potassium. Uh, metabolic alkalosis or alkalosis can also cause low potassium or cause potassium to shift into the cell but um, clinically it tends not to be an important uh, cause um, and then if we think about if we keep thinking about potassium balance uh, intake uh, can reduce the intake lead to low potassium in fact our body is amazing in its ability to conserve potassium and so low intake by itself yeah, would be a very unusual cause of hypokalemia uh, especially in uh, a country like Australia, uh, but it, it may exacerbate or reveal uh, another issue going on with with, it, with the patient, but it's unlikely to be the sole cause of hypokalemia. And so the causes, the, the more common causes is either from gut loss or from uh, kidney loss. And so the, the uh, GIT losses uh, are classically related to diarrhea. So most patients will give you a history of that. So usually it's pretty apparent if uh, um, there's a GI driver for the hypokalemia. Uh, as far as renal losses, there are a number of um, conditions uh, for, um, for renal losses, and, and we'll go through that later on. So fundamentally, when you see a patient with hypokalemia, yes, you need to know about intake. Yes, you need to know if they're on insulin and salbutamol is the, mo the more common causes of cell shift. But ultimately, um, you're trying to work out if it's a gut loss or a renal loss. And the easiest way to do that is just by doing a, um, a potassium concentration in someone's urine. And fundamentally, there's various different uh, normal ranges or, or, or normals, but if someone is hypokalemic, the kidney should be conserving the potassium, it should be reabsorbing the potassium and not excreting potassium, and usually does a very good job at that. And so your urine potassium concentration should be less than 20 millimoles per litre. There's a few different other numbers in, in the literature out there, but 20 millimoles per litre is the kind of number that I, I think about. So if your renal potassium, spot, spot urine, um, uh, potassium concentration is less than 20 millimoles per litre, that to me would suggest that your loss of potassium is probably from your gut. Um, and some patients, um, most patients will tell you if they've got diarrhoea, but some patients uh, are not so forthcoming. Typically people who have laxative abuse uh, tend to be a little bit uh, quite more quiet about, about this as a cause. If the potassium in the, the urine is high, it suggests that the loss, the hypokalemia is driven by renal loss. And then that's when I then go to 
Uh, back to physiology, unfortunately for you guys, I go back to acid base and I look to see if the person has got uh, metabolic acidosis or alkalosis. And if the patient with hypokalemia who's losing potassium in their kidneys has metabolic acidosis, that to me suggests that they've probably got a renal tubular acidosis that's driving their, um, their hypokalemia, or possibly um, they may be um, surreptitiously vomiting. So the, the classic case would be uh, a, bule- a bulimic patient um, who doesn't want to reveal their, their vomiting to you. They could present in a similar kind of biochemistry. If, uh, the, if, on the other hand, they've got metabolic alkalosis and they've got renal wasting of potassium, then that to me, um, then the next question then is, um, what is their volume status? So if they've got a low intravascular volume or, or normal or low blood pressure, then that to me would suggest um, uh, diuretic abuse um, or some of the genetic conditions that look like diabetic uh, abuse, which is um, like Barter syndrome and Kittleman syndrome. And the other thing would be, or more Barter's than Kittleman's, and the other thing would be vomiting as well. Surreptitious vomiting can present in that way too. Now, if they, ha- however, have high blood pressure or are hypervolemic, then that would suggest that there is um, excessive mineral corticoid activity. Excessive mineral corticoid activity, so excessive aldosterone-type activity. So if you remember, aldosterone caused you, in the distal convoluted tubule, caused you to reabsorb sodium at the expense of potassium. Um, so in your kidneys, the main controllers of potassium excretion is um, your distal convoluted tubule. Almost all of the potassium that you filter into your urine is reabsorbed in your proximal convoluted tubule and the loop of Henle. So it's the distal convoluted tubule, the, the, right at the end of the kidneys, that control the amount of potassium you excrete. And that's mainly controlled by aldosterone. It can be controlled a little bit by the amount of sodium that hits the kidneys and the urine flow. Now, I'm getting a bit complicated, I know. (laughs) But fundamentally, you can think about it's controlled by aldosterone. So if you've got uh, hypokalemia um, that is associated with, that's due to renal wasting of potassium and the patient is overloaded or hypertensive, then I think about too much aldosterone. So they're reabsorbing the sodium and with the sodium because the water, hence they're hypertensive and overloaded and they're, they're peeing out the potassium. So in, the, in when thinking about that, I, I, then the next thing you need to, do, need to do is you need to do your renin and aldosterone levels, okay? Because that's what drives, um, that's what helps you differentiate the causes. And this is where it gets even more confusing if I haven't confused you already. So you, if you have, you can have high renin and high aldosterone causing this clinical uh, presentation. And that would be um, renin-secreting tumours, which is incredibly uncommon. It would include malignant hypertension and renal artery stenosis. Or you could have low renin and high aldosterone. So it's just aldosterone driving the, um, the clinical picture. And that will be your classic uh, Conn syndrome or um, the unusual glucocorticoid remediable um, hyperaldosteronism. And there's a few other um, uh, unusual causes. Or it could be low renin and low aldosterone which is classically Cushing's, which is excessive cortisol, um, which has a mineral cortical type activity. Um, and there's various uh, other congenital causes, um, little syndrome and 
congenital adrenal hyperplasia, uh, which are which are common. But basically, if you if you see someone who's in that clinical picture, you, you look at the renin and aldosterone levels, and that will tell you what the cause is. So with all that kind of information uh, in, in mind, if I look back at this patient that, that, or this case that you've given to me, uh, what the important features are in conjunction with her hypokalemia to try to work out why she's hypokalemic is the important features are she's hypertensive and she's well-volumed. Um, uh, they haven't given us a um, renal potassium concentration, but the likelihood is that she's probably potassium wasting in her kidneys because she hasn't got a history of diarrhea. Um, and so um, the first thing I, I think about that, if it's renal potassium wasting, I think about um, the acid-base balance and the pH is high, 7.5. So I think that she's got a metabolic alkalosis. So I don't think she's got renal tubular acidosis. Uh, and then, uh, so she's, she's got uh, high um, pH metabolic alkalosis and she's, she's um, got a uh, increased volume and hypertensive so this is more the excessive middle corticoid type activity um, so the next thing i would do for this lady would be uh, do her renin and aldosterone levels to try to work out which of those causes are but this will be as an example this would be a classic presentation of con syndrome thank you i certainly needed that revision in physiology so uh, you mentioned this patient has metabolic alkalosis. Could respiratory alkalosis cause similar disturbances in potassium or is it just met metabolic? Well, I don't think the uh, the metabolic alkalosis is not driving the low potassium. So even though alkalosis just does cause potassium to go into the cell, it's not significant enough to cause um, the hypokalemia. The metabolic alkalosis in this case um, is, this is a bit more complicated as well, is that when you, th when you think about the aldosterone um, effect in the distal convoluted tubule, it causes reabsorption of sodium and excretion of potassium. Uh, it also causes excretion of hydrogen ions as well. So it, it also causes a metabolic alkalosis through that mechanism. So it's not the drive of the low potassium, it's just an association. Yep. So what would you expect students to pick up on, on hearing that history? Yeah, so it's a very complicated way of thinking that I've, I've described, um, I, and, I, and I appreciate that. I would, I would expect a student to understand um, the, the flow of potassium uh, or the, the way potassium balances within the, a person. The idea of intake versus output and the idea of cell shifts and that most of the potassium is intracellular versus you know, extracellular. So I'd expect a student to know that. And then I'd expect a student to, with, with that in mind, um, be, able to, be able to tease out um, the GI versus renal losses by the history. They, they wouldn't necessarily need to, to, to know to, take a, to do a spot urine potassium concentration, but they would need to be able to know GI versus renal losses to take kind of a history. And to be honest, uh, if they haven't got a history of diarrhea, it's almost always going to be renal loss. So... It can really go down the path of, of renal causes. And then, um, so the causes are, you know, the causes would be typically diet, the most common cause as far as um, uh, if I was a gambling man, what would be the most common cause? The most common cause would be medications and diuretics in particular. Lasix uh, will be the classic. Um, but but I, would expect, I would hope a student would be able to know diuretics can cause it. And I would expect, a, I would hope a student can kind of think that all, what are all the other renal causes um, 
maybe a final year student know that uh, or think about renal tubular acidosis as a possibility it's a hard diagnosis to make I appreciate uh, unless you see a lot of it so maybe they don't need to know how to make the diagnosis and then there needs to be some consideration for the renin aldosterone um, axis um, uh, mainly because um, you know uh, the hypertensive patient with low potassium um, needs to be recognised that that could be a secondary hypertension as the cause of that. So you, you kind of need to recognise that patient. Sure. Um, so we've talked a bit about the investigations that you do and you mentioned the renin aldosterone levels are quite important. Are there any other investigations that should be performed when you see a patient with low potassiums immediately? Uh, well, you might want to check their magnesium as well. It's often low too. Um, you, you need both to be um, to be normalised and no, it's, so it's primarily uh, a volume volume assessment blood, with the blood pressure, uh, urine potassium uh, concentration, and uh, and a acid base or blood gas or a venous gas. Sure. Would you do an ECG for hypokalemia at all? Uh, the the patients tend to be asymptomatic, and the ECGs tend to be. Um, pretty or normal until until the potassium is very low then then you do get some ECG abnormalities to be honest um, I would be wanting to treat uh, all levels of low potassium and the um, how quickly you want to get it up fundamentally depends on how low it is rather Mm -hmm. than ECG changes which is maybe a little bit different to hyperkalemia so just along the same lines of management, you said the goal of treatment would be to normalise potassium levels. How would you treat hypokalemia then? So it's a combination of uh, trying to work out what the cause is. So if you don't work out the cause, you're not going to, uh, you know, it's going to re- keep recurring when you when you do replete their potassium in their blood. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, if it's diuretic use, then you, you really want to have a think thought, think about can I reduce the diuretics? Or can I change the diuretics to ones that cause less ex- uh, release of potassium? So some of the potassium sparing diuretics, for example. Um, so, but often, you know, they're on medications for a reason. So sometimes you can't change it. You just have to man- try to manage it. And so I tend to uh, l- also look at um, the rate of change of potassium. So is this a sudden reduction in potassium or is this kind of a long-standing problem? If it's a sudden kind of reduction and things are falling, I might tend to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. If things have been low for a while, then I'll tend to be a bit slower in trying to correct them. So I, everyone's a, bit, a little bit different. I, I, I kind of guess if it's 3.0 to 3.6, uh, I would be I'll be happy to get them up slowly. So just give them oral potassium. And you can either give it to them as um, a, a slow release kind of formulation, like like slow K, or as a liquid, um, uh, uh, quicker acting formulation like uh, KCL. And there's a few other formulations. Uh, all of them taste terrible, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it's less than three point zero, then you might want to do it more quickly. So you might want to give it intravenously. You know, that's a really rough ruler guy that's not, not no it's not a definite number um, and I was I've certainly had people in the high twos that I've replenished um, aggressively with oral potassium because it's sometimes difficult to get them admitted and give IVs and, and all, all that kind of stuff sure so in this patient would you then consider oral or IV potassium 
I kind of think that she's been running around um, with this low potassium for a long time. I kind of think she's got a chronic condition, to be honest. Uh, and so I would try to replenish her uh, uh, slowly um, because she's going to probably need, uh, until you resolve the underlying cause, she's probably going to need chronic potassium replacement um, uh, because she's she's going to be excreting potassium for whatever the underlying, underlying reason is. Now, obviously, uh, uh, you know, patients don't like medications, and so if she can replenish with um, with um, diet, then that would be that'd be great, and that might be uh, her preference is diet. Um, rather than, than, than tablets. Um, and I would tend to give, a, a, if I was going to give medication, I'd tend to give a slow release, like slow K. Yeah. So did we have any take-home points before we finish hypokalemia? Uh, so I think the take-home points is to understand potassium balance, uh, and that will help you with working out the cause um, and, the, and working out the treatment. Uh, and then, um, and most of the causes can be worked out by the history. Um, these fancy tests can, can, could be maybe left to those difficult patients that you don't um, don't know what's going on. So you could probably work out what's going on by the history. You could probably replace the, the hypokalemia uh, with medications. And if it, if it all corrects, then I guess don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But the patients who tend to be recurring or have ongoing problems, um, they might need a deeper understanding of the tests that are involved. The the unique situation of, of this case, this case in particular, the young person with newly diagnosed hypertension associated with low potassium should be a, a warning sign that there might be a secondary hypertensive cause for this patient. Dr. Beaville, thank you so much for that really insightful breakdown of hypokalemia. Uh, we'll discuss hyperkalemia in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find this episode as well as all our other episodes and their transcripts on our website www.medtalkpod.com. You can also like us on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash medtalkpod to stay updated about all the new episodes and any new learning resources. You can also send us episode ideas and feedback on our website or our email medtalkpod at outlook.com.